Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Carrington, and you're listening to Call Talk for January 15th, 2015. My, the time flies. Today's topic is the cost of caller identification, and this is going to be a good one. So I want to make sure if you're listening live that you're invited and know that you're invited to be a part of the show and ask questions. It's real easy. Here's how you can do it. Number one, and probably most common, of course, is to email me at brian at benchmarkportal.com. That's B-R-I-A-N at benchmarkportal.com. Also, if you're listening live or you're close to a phone, you can always call in and then press the one on your phone to let me know that you have a question and I'll get you in. It's real easy. Here's the number to call in. 347-857-3117. Just really conclude again. 347-857-3117. All right. So I do want to remind everyone that all of our shows are archived and available to listen to any time that's convenient for you at our website at benchmarkportal.com. Find the call talk section and you'll see our archive of just tons and tons of great topics and shows ready for you to listen into. So, speaking of listening in and great shows, we've got one for you today. It's my pleasure to introduce to you the host of Call Talk, Bruce Belfiore. Thank you, Brian, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. Today's topic is cost of caller identification. And this is actually a, an interesting onion to peel. There's a lot more layers than you might think in this. And we brought an expert on the topic for you, Mr. Ian Roncaroni, who's the founder of Next Caller, which is Advanced Caller ID for Businesses. Next Caller is the world's largest caller ID database and links telephone number to name, address, email, household income, and other personal information. Ian is the head of business development and wrote the logic for their proprietary data aggregation algorithm. And in fact, this algorithm is so unique that a number of industry giants like Nextiva, 8x8, etc., have made NextCaller their native caller ID product. He's a graduate of Princeton University and the prestigious Y Combinator program. In keeping with call talk tradition, Ian is here not as a vendor but as a subject matter expert, and so he'll be talking to you about his experience and his expertise and his knowledge with regard to today's important topic. So, hello and welcome to Call Talk, Ian. Bruce, hello. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm excited to, to dig into the subject. Well, we are too. I mean, I think this is a subject that a lot of people have uh, some passing knowledge of, but not really in-depth knowledge of. So, hopefully that'll change in the course of the next half hour. And But, you know, one of the things, uh, Ian, is that caller ID has been around for a while. I mean, I remember getting my first unit at home about 20 years ago, uh, that little white box connected to my phone. They would tell me the first and last name of the calling party so I could decide whether <laughs> I would uh, pick up or, or simply let it go. So, Ian, if, if caller ID has been around for, for this long, why are we talking about it today? And, and why is it an issue for businesses? You know, Bruce, that, that's a great question. Uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. The first call ID systems were designed over 40 years ago, and they were built to transmit uh, what's known as CNAM data. Uh, CNAM data is uh, 15 characters associated with a telephone number, like the last name, comma, first name. And this is exactly what, what you talked about, what you were used to on your caller ID box at home 20 years ago. Uh, this worked just fine for landlines, and to be honest, uh, this still works for day, uh, today for caller ID but really only for landlines. So, uh, you know, you're probably thinking, why doesn't it work for cell phones? Well, back when the telcos started offering mobile service, 
They never built the required physical infrastructure to transmit that CNAM data through their networks. So caller ID via mobile networks has always been impossible and will always be impossible given the existing infrastructure. So the problem for businesses will become obvious when you look at uh, the current mobile trends. So 10 years ago, the mobile to landline ratio was about one-to-one, -one, or throughout the world, for every landline, there was a mobile phone. Uh, so using CNAM data in a call center was still an okay solution. Uh, but today, the ratio is six-to-one, mobile phones outnumbering landlines. And in 10 years, experts project it will be 18-to-one. So as this ratio continues to grow, traditional caller ID or, or the CNAM data becomes even more outdated. Um, so, so we have consumers switching to new phone technology in mass because it's more convenient and, and now it's, it's less expensive than ever before. And businesses on the other side are forced to pay their agents to manually identify those callers. So as the mobile usage continues to grow, so will the problem for businesses. Yeah, wow. So uh, we have the dreaded uh, shrinking CNAM situation. Oh, my goodness. In, so indeed, indeed we do. <laughs> the shrinking CNAM. So, you know, I can see why this would be a growing problem, uh, but how, how big can it really be? I mean, how much is this really costing businesses, Ian? Yeah, Bruce, that's another great question. Um, so there are two ways you can really look at it. Um, the easy-to-quantify dollars and cents of efficiency and talk time and the harder to quantify but maybe equally important customer experience. Uh, so, so with regard to money, uh, it might really shock people how much it costs because a lot of businesses, even the big Fortune 500 companies, the household names, aren't really tracking these metrics. Uh, the average customer service call in, in the U.S. costs, you know, on the order of about $5.50 and lasts about six minutes. Uh, so when you yep. put that into perspective about – 30 seconds of that call is spent gathering personal information, asking you your name, asking you your address. Is that B as in boy or D as in dog? Um, and on top of that, the agents have to enter this into the CRM. So you're talking the talk time and data entry. Uh, some quick and, math. And, uh, uh, we'll Ian, if I could just mention that uh, the uh, Bias and Boy, uh, Diaz and Dog, uh, with name like Bruce Belfiore, I have to spell my name all the time. I'm sure you have the same situation, right? <laughs> I, I do. And, and then when you have a, a K in there or an X and you have to think of, think on your feet of a word that starts with K, it's, things <laughs> get a little confusing even when you're trying to spell your own name. Um, That's yeah, right. So, yeah. so, so that some quick math will show you that um, – you know, this, this costs about 40 cents that businesses are spending on the call to figure out who you are. So if you zoom out and look at this on a macro scale, uh, the numbers are staggering. Uh, about 50 billion, and that's billion with a B as in boy, uh, calls go to customer service every year. And about 60% of those, or, or about 30 billion, require a human being to identify the caller. Um, a little more simple math would show you that this is, you know, an 11 to $12 billion problem annually. And again, that's, that's a billion with a B as in boy. Um, and, yeah. and no matter how big that number is, a lot of experts would argue that the cost of negative customer experience associated with this identification process is even bigger. Uh, if you look at things like customer loyalty, uh, about 70% of people would spend more money if they received better service. 89% uh, of customers do business with a competitor after a bad customer service experience. Uh, one of these things that, that we're all familiar with, we've all seen a lot of uh, uh, these days, is social media. And this has really, uh, for better or for worse, uh, I think worse, 
um, has really affected negatively uh, customer service. Uh, unfortunately, agents are like umpires. Uh, they can do a great job 99% of the time and go totally unappreciated. But, you know, they get vilified for that 1% of the time they make a mistake. And, and that's really mm. unfortunate because these people are, are working really hard and trying their best to serve their customers. Um, and and yeah. as a result, about 95% of people share a bad customer experience with others. And half of those people are doing it on social media, so the audience is expounded. So you have these companies that are unfortunately being brash, bashed by customers uh, to hundreds of people that have never even heard of their brand before. So it's really unfortunate. Right. Yeah, uh, the uh, the umpire... Uh analogy I think was a really good one given what happened last weekend with a couple of the calls that came out and uh, people still talking about them now um, you know and, and I also think about the American Airlines breaks guitars uh, it, uh, you know fiasco that happened uh, the people on the call uh, listening today our, our listeners may recall that uh, there was a Canadian fellow who watched out the window of his plane as his guitar was thrown around as it was being loaded onto the plane and when he got to the other end, the thing was broken, and he did not get any satisfaction from calling in, calling in, so he decided to make his own video, uh, which was a very catchy tune and everything, called American Airlines Breaks Guitars. It went viral, and through social media, obviously did an enormous damage to uh, Americans' reputation. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the fact is that these issues become magnified, and we as call center managers need to be... Uh, cognizant of that and try to do everything we can to make sure that, um, you know, things go well rather than poorly. So uh, I, I, you know, agree with you. It's an extremely important issue for the, the people in our audience to, to be cognizant of. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and I guess there's, there's really just to, to, to finish the, or complete the thought, there's really a third bucket, I guess, too, beyond talk time and customer experience, and that's business intelligence and process management. Um, you can't know how much something is costing you until you have customer data. Uh, I'm talking about things like uh, improved IVR strategies, uh, intelligent routing during outages, uh, improved first call resolution, things like agent attrition, and the list goes on. Uh, so once you can improve these things in your call center, in hindsight, you know, hindsight becomes 2020, and you can realize once you've made things more efficient and made these improvements internally, you can see after the fact how much it was costing you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, in fact, we see process management issues uh, being extremely important in all these things, and uh, for IVR, uh, for coming up with the pro- best ways to uh, bring up first call resolution, uh, all these things also have the impact of uh, improving. If you improve those metrics, uh, then your agent attrition is going to go down because they're going to be less frustrated. They're going to be happier with the smooth functioning of your, your call center. So really it has a healthy um, you know, impact when you're able to improve these things. Well, it, this is all really interesting stuff, and the direct cost associated with identification does seem a bit high, but it, it, it makes sense to me. Um, agents deal with bad connections, language barriers. Uh, the business has to pay for all of these things. And I'm sure that uh, all of our listeners have tracked at least some of these metrics, so they're aware that it's it's not cheap, uh, even if they don't know exactly what it's costing them. And I would encourage all of the managers who don't know what it's costing them to do a couple of calculations after they get off this program, uh, because an estimation of what these things may be costing you 
could in fact be the uh, impetus to take some action and to uh, see what's out there that's, that, that would be better for you. So that said, uh, Ian, tell us about some of the cutting edge cool ways that people are reducing these costs and uh, ultimately improving the customer experience. Yeah, there are so many cool things people are doing um, uh, to, to reduce costs and increase conversions. Uh, on the cost reduction side, I would say the majority probably comes from more intelligent IVR solutions uh, and self-help options. Uh, for example, uh, utility companies are using zip code values from callers to route them to automated messages during outages. Uh, hotel chains are using really sophisticated voice recognition to automate the reservation process. Uh, they're even using voice recognition for existing customers to reduce the time of manual agent identification. Uh, on the engagement side, we're seeing managers uh, are getting even more creative. Uh, for example, they're routing inbound and outbound calls to agents from the same area code to give the agent and, and the customer something to talk about. Ah, I see we're from the same area in New Jersey. What do you know about that? It opens up conversation. Um, we, see, we see some managers that are using uh, personal data to route callers based on how many Twitter followers they have to minimize the impact of a bad experience. And again, this is the, the point you brought up recently of the American Airlines example. Hey, if, we've, if, a, if a manager can find out, hey, this caller has 5,000 Twitter followers, let's make sure he or she gets the best possible experience. Let's give them our best agent. Let's route them to the front of the line. So if they say anything, they'll only have good things to say. Um, so the, the one common thread here is that businesses make all of these decisions based on the customer data they have. Um, and, and this is the niche that, that we fill. So we get a firsthand look at all of these neat ways businesses are reducing costs and increasing customer engagement with data. Okay, so uh, this is really fascinating uh, stuff. And you mentioned earlier in the interview, Ian, that there are a lot of big businesses that aren't tracking these metrics, uh, or maybe are taking steps to improve them. That that sounds counterintuitive. You'd think that they'd be at the forefront of this curve with their big budgets and their big teams. Uh, can you explain to us why they aren't? You know, that that's a, that's a really interesting question. And you're right; it seems counterintuitive at first. But when you spend a few years selling to, to these kinds of businesses, the reasons become uh, obvious. Uh, first and foremost, as you can imagine, there's a lot of red tape. Uh, even decision makers have to get approvals from everything and from everyone. Uh, new initiatives have to be approved by budget committees, by legal departments, and, and approved by their technology teams. So no matter how important a solution is, it often takes six to 12 months to implement. Or, or even to get approved. And, and once it is approved, development has to be scheduled, which is often six to 12 months later. So now you have a big company with a big budget that wants to do something innovative, but really can't for 12 to 24 months. And then by the time that technology is approved and implemented, it's already outdated. Uh, it, it's also likely that they've agreed to long-term contracts with vendors. So this puts them even further behind the eight ball because smaller businesses are, are moving faster in a linear direction, and technology is outpacing them exponentially. Uh, second, a, a lot of decision makers aren't properly incentivized to, to choose innovation, and this is um, something that's always fascinated me uh, about the industry. But uh, new technology is always a bit of a risk. Uh, it comes with the promise of efficiency and, and greater uh, usability, but also hasn't been tested. Uh, if a new implementation works out, great the decision-maker gets a pat on the back from his or her boss. 
Uh, but if the implementation doesn't work out, they could lose their jobs. Uh, and, and there's that old expression, nobody got fired for choosing IBM. And, and to this day, it's still, it still rings all too true. Um, big businesses move slowly and often you know, don't offer the best solutions to their customers for the same reasons they can't buy the solutions from their vendors. Uh, they, they just take too long. So, so we have a lot of smaller businesses in the industry that often uh, that offer better support, uh, better products, and, and better prices, but they have a hard time attracting enterprise customers. And this is a, a vicious cycle that hinders a lot of innovation, especially in the contact center industry. Um, you know, third, if, if I could just... Yeah, if I could just interject here, too, that uh, one of the things that we do find is that um, in the contact center industry, even though there has been a professionalization of uh, staffs and that there are more and more people who are able to do a good ROI analysis, uh, still it's it's not at the level that you'd expect uh, for a lot of organizations. And um, the left brain, right brain issue sometimes comes up here. That is to say, most people who are have come up through the call center ranks are really people people. And the worst day of the year for them is uh, budget day because they're in a room with people who are like from another planet. They think differently. They look at numbers differently. And, and um, so we, we are still finding that uh, oftentimes the ability to create uh, really good ROI analyses for these solutions, which have fabulous ROIs, uh, is not something that comes naturally. And one of the tough love messages that we give to people in the industry is, look, make friends with your folks over, with your colleagues over in the um, uh, finance area. Have one of them come over for lunch. Uh, talk to them about what you want to do. Have them help you with the analysis that you need to get what you need uh, to do better. And uh, sort of have them look at you in, with different eyes um, and in terms of your ability to add value uh, enterprise value to the organization. So anyway, that may be helpful for a few people on the call uh, or on this uh, show, and um, you know, hopefully you'll think about doing that because there are oftentimes very large returns and uh, benefits that can come from going through this kind of an exercise. Would you agree with that, Ian? Yeah, yeah, I, I would. I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, and you know, one, one of the other things that, that we, we see a lot of too is that um, a lot of these businesses – you know, aren't really in a position to, to make adjustments because they're, they're working with, in many cases, uncooperative outsourcers. Um, a, a lot of outsource vendors get paid based on talk time, as I'm sure uh, a lot of the, the listeners are aware. Uh, so, so from their perspective, they have no reason to reduce it. And, and what's worse is that these, a lot of these outsource vendors uh, are, in many cases, too short-sighted to choose innovation. And we've seen so many cases where outsourcers would rather earn an extra 5% for a one-year contract uh, with an existing customer rather than make a, a small improvement, uh, make, a, make their centers a little bit more efficient, and earn 5% less to secure a five-year deal. And, and this is counterproductive. And businesses, uh, it's preventing a lot of the bigger company, companies from implementing the things they want because they're, they're contracted with outsourcers that are, you know, mostly uncooperative, and it's tough. Hmm. Okay, no, that's a, a good point. And so uh, those on the phone who are responsible for managing outsourcers, uh, think about what Ian just said and uh, think about whether it may, uh, in fact, uh, be your case that you need to have a, a longer talk uh, with your outsourcer on these very issues. Uh, Ian, I know we're starting to, to uh, run short of time here, but there's something called um, call spoofing that I wanted to ask you about. I was wondering if you could tell our listeners about call spoofing and, uh, you know, what can be done about it. 
Yeah, that, that, that's a, another another great question. So we've we've seen this uh, phenomenon in the industry uh, rising quickly of call spoofing, and essentially what call spoofing is. Uh, a, a person with a, a mobile phone or, or any other type of system can mask their outgoing caller ID to be another number. Uh, and, and while you know designed for novelty purposes, you can imagine the damage this could do to a company. Uh, for example, mm. if I'm a criminal and I, I go through your mail or go through your garbage and I, I find a bank statement and a telephone bill, all of a sudden with a free application from the app store and my mobile phone, I can call your bank, pretend to be you because the IVR of the bank thinks that I am you because they see your caller ID popping up in their system. And then I can verify my, my address information and my name information because I've gone through your mail. And all of a sudden, I can access your financial account. Uh, we see this also wow. in, in, phar- in pharmacies. Uh, patients are calling pharmacies, spoofing their doctor's phone numbers to fill prescriptions for themselves. And this is, you know, th- this, you know something like this goes beyond just efficiency in a call center this is taking people's lives. People are, are abusing prescription drugs. Uh, so it, it's, it's, a really, it's a really difficult thing uh, for businesses to handle. And, you know, fortunately, there, there are a couple of companies out there uh, that are providing uh, solutions to this problem and helping, helping businesses say, hey, actually, we can determine that this call is not originating from the physical device that owns the number. Be wary of this person. Make sure you ask them additional security questions. And, you know, as you can imagine, a lot of the security breaches – uh, in call centers happen at the agent level. It's not because, you know, some, some uh, 12-year-old mastermind has, has hacked into your system. It's because people on the phone are, are tricky and they're conniving. And they, they sound sweet and they sound innocent. And, you know, they get some information from an agent today. They get a little information from an agent tomorrow. And, and criminals are persistent because crime does pay. And, uh, you know, and, and after a while, they're able to hack into these accounts and and compromise the valued accounts of, of the customers. So it, it's a big problem. Well, that is really scary stuff. I mean, both on the financial level and with regard to uh, pharmaceuticals. And uh, you're right. I mean, people's lives can be uh, at risk here. And uh, the, the thing is, too, from our point of view as managers, we want to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Uh, and in addition, there's the liability issue. And, uh, you know, the first time something like this happens, then you can say, okay, we weren't prepared for it, and there was no expectation that we should be prepared for it. As this sort of thing becomes more common, then uh, there becomes to be a, a, a mandate put on you, whether you like it or not, uh, to be able to uh, combat it and to be able to deal with it. So uh, really you need to, as, as call center managers, uh, be ready for this sort of thing, make sure that you do have uh, sufficient um, and state-of-the-art manners to uh, combat uh, fraud, which is really what it is, and uh, make sure that call spoofing doesn't uh, cause you problems going forward. Well, thank you very much for that that insight there, uh, Ian. And uh, I think at, at this point what we'd like to do is to uh, turn things over to Brian. I noticed that he has some questions uh, from people. So, Brian, could you uh, could you ask those questions? Sure. Sounds good. Uh, and actually, this first one, I, I was going to ask if uh, I hadn't got the email already. Uh, Sam is asking, you mentioned the mobile carriers never built the physical infrastructure to transmit ID through their mobile networks. The question is, why not? And it seems like a pretty glaring oversight. Uh, yeah, Sam, that, that's a fantastic question. Um, experts actually have two competing theories here. Um, 
One is that when carriers started offering mobile service, uh, it was so expensive that they didn't want to spend the extra money to build the extra infrastructure, even though it would have been such a small fraction of what they were already paying. Uh, the second theory, which, which is a theory I personally believe, is that the networks didn't want their competing networks to know who their customers were. I mean, think about it. You have early adopters paying a pretty penny for a premium service. Uh, by transmitting the calling party's name through the network, you're literally telling your competitors who your biggest and most valuable customers are and where they live. Um, so, so this is one of those classic cases where ineptitude uh, was not the culprit. It was a strategic business decision to not offer it. And again, hindsight is 2020. Um, but I think if they could have anticipated the growth of their mobile networks, uh, they probably would have decided differently. But uh, it's one of those things. I'm not sure which to believe, and it's uh, it's up to the audience, I guess, to to figure out what, which which uh, solution they believe. <laughs> That's fascinating, fascinating stuff. And obviously, at this point in time, it doesn't really matter why it happened. The fact is, it did happen, uh, and uh, now we have to deal with it uh, so that we can, you know, combat the problems and and take advantage of any opportunities that might come up. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great answer. Thank you. Uh, back over right. to Brian. Uh, this one came in from Mike, and Mike is asking, I've heard that a higher percentage of inbound calls are requiring manual identification every time or every year. Why is that, and shouldn't technology be reducing this? Uh, Mike, uh, an another great question. Um, most experts actually attribute this trend to the rising complexity of the average customer service call. Um, as you can probably even remember, years ago, People called customer service lines to find out everything. Where, what are your hours? Where is your store? I'd like to make a reservation. Uh, now, all of these simple inquiries are, are self-service. You can find them online, on, on their websites, or in an IVR if you dial in, so you never had to deal, or so you don't have to deal with an agent for that simple information. Um, but nowadays, by the time a caller actually reaches a human, the call has generally escalated to a complex issue requiring manual identification, uh, verification, and considerable talk time. This is things like changing your airline tickets or uh, disputing a charge on your credit card. You know, you don't want to just submit an email that says, hey, uh, I had a problem with my flight, give me money back. No, you want to get somebody on the phone and talk to them about it. Um, and, and as you can imagine, this increases the time and money spent by businesses to handle every aspect of the call, including the identification. Uh, I personally believe this cost will continue to grow as more calls start requiring heightened identification, verification standards, and, and even things like we talked about with spoof detection. As, as soon as businesses realize, hey, this is a, a, point of, a point of failure for us, this is a point of vulnerability, it's only going to keep increasing. Hmm. Interesting. So... Uh I have got one one last question, and I think we have the time for it. And um, this is actually a question and a compliment to you, Ian. <laughs> this one comes from Stacy. Uh, she says, uh, this has all been very helpful. Thank you. Uh, but I'd like to uh, learn a little bit more about the topic, and what do you have for recommendations on further reading? Uh, yeah, so, so as you can imagine, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of great sources out there. Um, in addition to the, the benchmark reports, um, one of, one of the uh, really good sources I've found is the U.S. Contact Center Decision Makers Guide. Uh, it, it's published every year and surveys a bunch of different call centers in the U.S. Um, they, they track a, a bunch of different metrics like 
agent handle time, uh, agent attrition rate, and, and they, they figure out their metrics based on business vertical too. So it gets uh, pretty granular. Um, and, and to be honest, this report was uh, uh, one of the fundamental, um, it was an impetus for me to, to start my business because I realized, you know, having, having very little experience in the industry uh, years ago, to say, oh, wow, this is, this is a really big problem. Companies are spending a, a lot of time and a lot of money identifying these callers so I thought, huh, if we could build a better caller ID to, to help these businesses, we'd save them a ton of money. Um, and that's, uh, and that's, that's what we've done. Okay. You know, uh, this has been great. Uh, we are uh, sort of at the bottom of the hour now, but uh, this has been a lot of very juicy information, Ian. We really, really appreciate it. You've got uh, unique insight into this area and obviously have done a lot of work with it and also have uh, sort of given us – uh, a vision of the future, which isn't all rosy. It's uh, kind of scary in certain ways, but uh, we need to know about it. So uh, we really appreciate the fact that you've given us this head up. And, and also you've uh, peeled the onion. As I said at the beginning, there's actually a number of layers on this. So there's the the dollars uh, part, which is really totally you know tied into average handle time and how do we bring down the amount of time that's spent in uh, getting all of this information in. Uh, there's the reputational part, which we talked about, and uh, we also talked about the liability aspects, which are all areas that uh, we need to know about as call center managers. So uh, we really appreciate all of that uh, information and, uh, you know, uh, hope to have you back sometime as well. We, we might be able to talk about these issues further. So yeah, thanks very much. Any, no final, problem at any all. final thoughts? Okay, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I, I just hope that you know uh, this uh, this show has helped uh, inspire some of your listeners to to take a deeper, more honest look at their call centers. And you know, one of the one of the problems that a lot of businesses have is they just don't know. And and you know, the old adage that knowledge and information is power. And once you start evaluating these things with with an honest eye, you can really start to take some measures to to improve your business process. So I hope uh, I hope I've inspired some people to to take a look at their centers. Okay. Thank you very much, Ian. Uh, with that, we'll go over to Brian for closing. Yeah. And, hey, Ian, I think you've answered a question I've always had of wondering why I didn't get very good customer service from my credit card company, and it's because I don't tweet. <laughs> it very well could be. <laughs> it could be. That's so interesting. Oh, that, not one more well, thing I'll, to worry I'll about. I'll start following you, Brian, so maybe that'll help. Hey, all right. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, uh, Bruce and I appreciate you joining us on the on the show today, and uh, really, it was an insightful show. So, thanks again for that. Thank you. All right. Well, everyone, I want to thank you for listening in, uh, whether you're live or you're listening to the show as an archive. I want to remind you that we've got plenty more shows out there and great topics for you to listen to. They're all on our website, benchmarkportal.com. Also, hey, you can check out and see how your contact center is doing uh, compared to the industry vertical you're in by doing a free reality check for Benchmark. And, uh, of course, that's on our website as well. And I uh, want to make sure you have a wonderful day out there. So from all of us here at Benchmark, keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready. <laughs> this is Brian Carrington for Spell Fiore, signing out.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.